Bachelor, Bachelor, live from Rogers Arena, calling Canucks games. It is Brendan Bachelor, Bachelor, Bachelor. 7.02 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. If you couldn't guess, Brendan Batchelor is up next. Hour two of the program brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. I am watching a, a video that Adog just posted of us on Twitter. Okay. And it's me talking about the Canucks start. And and Halford is... Watching the basketball Watching game. the basketball game. Like, so clearly. like, But but it's kind of funny because once in a while, he'll put in, like, a, a cursory nod. Or a, single, like, or a single word. No, yes. no, he'll be like mm-hmm. a nod of like, hmm, like definitely not listening to you watching the basketball game. And he can like, like I, I think I, when I talk about the Canucks, it's the same sound that the teachers make in Peanuts. Yeah. That Halford hears, especially when there's like a basketball game on. To be fair to Halford, mm-hmm. this is a big basketball game. I've... Yeah, that's me. Like, yeah, the Canucks need to get off to a good start. And uh, I don't know about Petey as a captain. And make no mistake, it's not just when he talks about the Canucks. Or Halford's just ear-damaged Homer from all the rock concerts. Bruff starts going Canucks. Halford just... You know what we should do? Uh, we should... You, you should take one of those videos and, like... We should dub in what Halford is thinking. Basketball. <laughs> like if you if you watch one of those, it's hilarious. Like there's absolutely n- n- no thought given to what I'm saying. It's all like, what, what's going on in the basketball game? I wasn't. Wondering. I respect it though. Oh, man, I think Dylan Brooks just got tossed. Halford just make the shot, make the shot, make the oh, shot. Brooks just got tossed. He okay. either either fouled out or just got tossed. I'll I'll get to the bottom of this. Meanwhile. Joining us now, Brendan Batchelor, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Batch? Uh, not much. I'll keep my answers long so you guys can pay attention to the basketball game. Let's go. You can do it short, too. It doesn't matter. I zone out real easy. <laughs> uh. Well, uh, I, can, I can relate because I had to host in the summer a few years back during England's World Cup semifinal match, mm-hmm. and I was That's exactly tough. the same thing. I was like, I'm not paying attention to what we're talking about at all. Brooks got his second tech. That's what happened. Oh, so okay. he's, he's booted out of the game. Has he ever been uh, thrown out of a basketball game before? No, he's such a clean player usually. This is a right. very, very big Anyways, 92-77 <laughs> for Canada over Slovenia. So it is looking good for Canada except for Dylan Brooks getting tossed. Batch, uh, you're out of the rink at UBC yesterday. Um, a lot of Canucks out there, a lot of Abbotsford Canucks. Uh, I noticed that after the media got... Um, uh, done talking to Tyler Myers about the very serious uh, fires up in the Cologne area and talking to him about having to evacuate um, his family. Now, fortunately, his house is fine and his family's fine. He was very thankful to um, all the people that helped out out there and continue to help out up there. And then it was like, uh, what about the start, Tyler Myers? How are the Canucks going to start this season? That is going to be the theme of training camp and preseason, is it not? A hundred percent it is. 
because we've seen how a bad start can completely derail the season. And last year's the perfect example. You lose the first seven games of the year. I know it's an 82-game season, but you're so far behind the eight ball that it's almost impossible to catch up. And for the Canucks last year, it certainly was. And, you know, something I was talking about on, on our station within the last couple of weeks anyway is – what then happens is when you struggle, then the off-ice storylines become more of the part of the picture, right? So if the Canucks had got off to a good start last year, you know, maybe we're not talking so much about the Boudreaux contract and whether he's going to be extended or what Rutherford's saying in the media and, and all of these things that sort of defined last season really become bigger talking points when the team's not playing well as opposed to if they have a great start and we can just focus on what they're doing on the ice and, and how well they're playing. So um, you can tell that this is a group that is taking this seriously. One, because Rick Tockett, I'm sure, wants them to take it seriously. He talked multiple times last season about wanting guys back early, and it's a good sign that most of the guys are back early. I was really surprised at the number of NHL roster players that were out on the ice yesterday. Like for context, normally when we come out of the Labor Day weekend, there's a few NHL guys and it's some Abbotsford guys. And then as the weeks carry on, the NHL guys trickle back into town even more. They have so many guys in town right now that they separated them into two skating groups, which right. never happens at this time of the year. So that's a really good sign that the message from Rick Tockett about getting back early, about taking this seriously in the preseason and in training camp has gotten through to this group of players. And, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not sitting here saying that they are going to have a good start because we've seen that that's been difficult for them in recent years. But I think they are setting themselves up in the best way possible to avoid having a bad start at the very least. Um, I'm sure you read the uh, Q&A that Tockett did with iMac. And one of the things that I really liked about what Tockett had to say, and I realize these are just words, but he was like, yeah, there's going to be pressure. So what are we going to do about that? Are we going to hide from the pressure? No, we're just going to take it on and do our best to prepare for the pressure and then basically see what happens. Right. And I, and, and there is, there is, I think a feeling, and I bet it's going to be a growing feeling um, that's going to be like, stop talking about the start, stop asking the Canucks about the start. Um, but for me, this is a great test of this team. Like, let's see what they're made of. It's only the it's only the regular season. Like, if they if they don't have the the best five games to start the season, it, it's not over. But let's see if they can come together as a group and start off well. I think it's a terrific test. I want the Canucks to tackle this thing head on, as opposed to being like, "Well, we don't want to make too much of this start." What do you think about that? Yeah, well, I kind of think back to what JT Miller talked about when he was on the Cam and Strick podcast in the offseason, where he said, I love it. You know, yes, there's a lot of pressure when we don't succeed, but also there's a lot of people that are rooting for you and want you to have success. And that's the reality of playing in this market, whether, you know, people like it or not. There is always going to be pressure on this team. There are always going to be high expectations and there's always going to be a lot of focus on the way the team performs and the way individuals perform. Uh, but you're an NHL hockey player. You're being well compensated to, to come in and still 
perform to the highest level possible. So I, I agree with Talkit in the sense that you know, pressure is part of the job, especially if you ever want to be successful, right? Like, it's not like the the playoffs have no pressure involved with them at all, right? Like, there are high-stakes games, high-stakes moments where you have to show up and perform to the best of your ability. So I've got no issue with there being lots of pressure on this Canucks team because at some point, if you want to be a good team, if you want to have success, you have to be able to operate in a pressure-packed situation. So, you know, if you have aspirations of being a playoff team, why not deal with pressure all year long or especially at the start of the year so that you're ready for it if and when you get there? Um, were you able to ascertain who uh, were the veteran players that organized the skates? Like, I think Tyler Myers was part of the organizing. Did you get any other names? Uh, no, but I would imagine JT Miller uh, is involved as he is back and in town now as well. Um, you know, they, they were able to have uh, limited participation from coaches in the organization on the ice. So uh, they are now allowed to have one skills coach and one goalie coach out there. So it was Yogi Shekovsky uh, and Marco Terenius uh, helping run practice yesterday. And and I think that's a change that's happened in the last few months. So um, they, they are allowed to do that now so i'm not sure in terms of whether these captain skates are the the same things they've done in the past or or whether there's some organizational involvement in that as well but um yeah the you know as i said the, the number of veteran players and and the number of new players too carson susie matt Irwin were both out there yesterday so it's you know in talking to susie i think it's good for him personally that that a lot of the team is back early because he can get to know guys and and he was talking about you know getting here early off the ice to find somewhere to live and and get settled in with his family um so you know that that sort of for me answers that question i'm, I'm not 100 percent sure on the individual players that might have been involved but it wouldn't surprise me if there's a, a good group of leaders that that are spearheading this because most of them are back in town right now um how do you think the Canucks will approach the preseason games in terms of the importance of wins and losses I think less so the importance of wins and losses and more so the importance of preparation for the regular season. And obviously that's always the purpose of the preseason games. But another thing to note is they have fewer preseason games this year. Traditionally, they've had eight or, or sometimes seven. They've only got six this season. So you don't have as many games. And it wouldn't surprise me if Rick Tockett wants to get down to his roster or close to it yeah. earlier in the preseason. They don't have that stupid have split squad with the Flames. Yeah, exactly. So that automatically takes a game away. And then yeah. I think it was a couple of years ago they had eight preseason games. So it, it wouldn't surprise me if maybe the first two preseason games are less traditional rosters or, you know, cobbled together with half NHL guys and half AHL guys. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if Rick Tockett wants – two or maybe even three full games with pretty close to his NHL roster for the purpose of preparing for the season. Now, you know, if they if they don't win, you know, the these preseason games, it's it's not the end of the world. We've seen teams have bad preseasons and good starts to the regular season and we've seen the Canucks have good preseasons and bad starts to the regular season in the past. So, I don't know if I would be you know, reading into the wins and losses as much, but situational things within the preseason that they can work on, I think, are going to be very important. So, for example, this sounds counterintuitive, 
the more penalties the Canucks take in the preseason, the better. Because <laughs> they need to work on that Practice penalty the kill. PK. Go out yeah. there and take a penalty if you want. Seriously, like yeah. I'm not even kidding. In, yeah. in the third period, if if you need to work on the penalty kill, send someone out there to just slash someone so you can work on it. Send uh, 12 guys over the boards. See if the exactly. Oh, too many men on the ice. There you go. Yeah. we got to kill another one. It's funny you mention that because we just talked about this. Like You've got to understand that for a team that hasn't had a ton of regular season success, and I think you bring up a good point because not only do they need to work on the penalty kill, but the guys, especially Susie and Bluger, for example, like they're new to the team. They haven't even been able to experience all the bad penalty killing that preceded them. Like They're going to have to not just get up to speed, but also get some reps with their new teammates. Like. Um, I don't know how much you paid attention to it last year, but we've talked about it in the preseason. Like Seattle took its preseason really seriously last year. And to the point where some people are kind of making snide, you know, side of their mouth remarks about you're not supposed to try this hard in the exhibition campaign. But it ended up working for them because they were able to work on situations in the preseason that happened in the regular season. And lo and behold, they had a really good start and they made the playoffs. Yeah. So, you know, I I think you always want to take anything like this seriously and and you know that that sounds like an obvious comment but oftentimes the preseason is you know guys getting back and ready and you, you'll see that veteran players don't take the early preseason games quite as seriously as maybe they take the last couple preseason games and then they they ramp up their game either even another level when the regular season starts but you know, with the way the Canucks have struggled in recent years and especially struggled out of the gate, they can't afford to do that. Um, you know, because of the comments Rutherford made last year, there is going to be an increased focus on the intensity of training camp. Um, you know, whether that's fair to Rick Tockett or not, I'm not sure. But when you criticize your former coach for not having a serious enough training camp, then the new coach coming in, there's going to be a high expectation that these guys take training camp seriously. And then by extension, that that will carry over to the, the preseason games as well. So, um, and, you know, uh, tongue-in-cheek about trying to take penalties. But oftentimes, and this could play to the Canucks' benefit, we see the referees call a ton of penalties in the preseason as they're trying to establish um, their new rule emphasis for the year. Right. So, uh, like, I've I've called preseason games where there's been, like, 30 power plays or or. 20 plus power plays in the game anyway so something like that could actually benefit the Canucks this year whereas oftentimes we're talking about how it takes away from the flow of the game and 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 those sorts of things if the Canucks are killing lots of penalties that's the best way for them to prepare because if there's one issue that this team needs to correct to not just have a better start this season but to have any chance of being in the playoff conversation it's that penalty kill because it cost them two points on too many nights last year. Well, Carson Soucy is one of those guys that was brought in uh, in part to help the PK. What are your expectations for this guy? He's 29 years old. Uh, he spent four years in college and then a couple more in the minors before uh, playing for the Minnesota Wild. Eventually, he got picked up in the expansion draft by Seattle. He played two seasons in Seattle. He got good reviews, but he was certainly not like a guy that was in the top four every night. Uh, he averages 16 to 17 minutes a night. Um, it feels like bigger things are going to be asked of him in Vancouver, and I'm just wondering if you feel the same way. Yeah, absolutely I do. I think you know this is a big opportunity for him as a player because there is a legitimate, bona fide top four role there for him and potentially an opportunity to play on a pairing with Quinn Hughes, which you would think is one of the, the plum gigs in the National Hockey League. So, um, 
yeah, like this is a big moment for him. And I kind of asked him about that yesterday. I said, you know, opportunity, you're coming here to Vancouver. It seems like you're going to play an increased role. How are you treating that? And and he sort of responded by saying, look, I'll help the team however I can, wherever they want to play me. But he has to realize that, uh, that you know, a, a top four role is there for him, that if he can perform well and succeed, that it's going to help this team win uh, early out of the gate. And, you know, that's something that uh, it, it doesn't seem like he's had to this point in his career before as he was playing on a, a blue line in Seattle in particular that they sort of prioritized defense coming out of the expansion draft. So they had lots of options in their top four and, and he was more of a third pairing PK guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's going to be opportunity for him to to play up the lineup here. And, you know, I, I think in last year, for example, coming into camp and, it, you know, in hindsight, things obviously didn't go well in this regard we talked about Ekman Larson and about how if he could replicate the way he had played in his first season that that was going to help the Canucks quite a lot because they needed you know more consistency in their top four obviously that didn't happen he's no longer part of the organization but if I'm looking at guys that could greatly impact the way the Canucks perform this season by how well they achieve in their roles. Susie is certainly one of those guys right at the top of that list, because if he can come in, show he can be a bona fide top four guy, whether he plays with, you know, Hughes or Heronic or gets an opportunity with either of those guys, how can he gel with one of them? How can he perform? Obviously he's a guy that has the flexibility to play on both sides. So that gives them options with him. Um, you know, that'll be interesting. And then, uh, you know, the other guy that's very much at the top of that list is Heronic himself in terms of, you know, if he goes well, it solidifies the Canucks top four quite a lot more than we've seen in the past. If he struggles, then the Canucks blue line is probably going to struggle. Do you think the Canucks have uh, like a favorite who they want to be paired with Quinn Hughes or who they want to be paired with Heronic, do they have like a, a board where they're like, I, I think this is going to work. I think this is going to work. Or is it more of an audition type thing? So I haven't talked to Rick Tockett about this yet, but what I would imagine is they've got an idea of what they want to do. And then performance will dictate whether they go forward with that idea. So for example, if you think that might be a pairing that's going to work, chances are you're going to start those guys on a pairing on day one of training camp. But if you don't like it, or if it's not working in preseason games, then you're going to go away from it. Like, for example, Quinn Hughes on the right side last year was something that they tried in training camp. They tried it in the preseason. It was clear that it wasn't going to be a fit, and they moved him back to the left side once it got into the regular season. So, you know, whether they think Susie... I, I think they probably imagine Susie playing on one of those pairings. Yeah. And what it may come down to is who they think is going to be more comfortable on the right side because Ian Cole is also a guy that can play the right side as a left shot defenseman. Um, so if, if Susie gets an audition on the right side, they like the way he looks, he's more likely to play with Hughes. If Cole looks like he's going to play better on the right side and Susie looks more comfortable on the left side then maybe he goes with Heronic and of course Tyler Myers is still a factor in all of this as well if they don't like you know how 
either Cole or Susie look like they're going to fit in a role with Quinn Hughes, then they could put Myers back on that pairing as well. So these are going to be the things that we'll talk through going through training camp, going through the preseason, as we see who is paired with who on day one of camp, as we see whether that changes throughout preseason games. And ultimately, as much as Rick Tockett probably has a line chart on his office in, on the wall right now of what he thinks the lines will look like going into the season right now, that line chart will look very different come the second week of October when they're getting into the games. Well, Batch, I'd like to thank you for joining us today for some very good Canucks talk. And Mike Halford would also like to thank you for joining us today because <laughs> we spoke the whole time and Halford was able to watch the basketball game. Mm-hmm. And What's Canada, Canada, Canada has just defeated Slovenia. Uh, 100 to 89. 100 to 89. So they got to 100 points. 11-point victory. Canada will now face Serbia in the semifinals with a chance to go to the gold medal game against the winner of the United States and Germany. We are now... Moj is going to be so conflicted. I know he's a big basketball guy, Yeah, right? (laughs) Once he realizes that Serbia is playing Canada in a basketball game, I'm sure he will be conflicted. He's the biggest basketball guy now for the next Uh, few days anyway. Batch, thanks for doing this, bud. We appreciate it. Have a good one. Thank you. Thank See you, buddy. Uh, Brendan Batchelor, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Hey, that's I, I, I will not apologize for being glued to that. That is awesome. Yeah. So in, in case you weren't paying attention to the game, what transpired during Batch's hit was Dylan Brooks got tossed for getting his second technical. I'm like, uh-oh, that's not great. Then Luka Doncic got tossed for his second technical. So all of a sudden, you're looking at a game where Canada's up 16 and Slovenia's best player gets tossed out of the game. You're like, well, that's over. But then Slovenia kind of made a little bit of a run, got it to within A-Dog nine. and I weren't worried, though. No, you guys were. They had it in the okay bag. With it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, all but guaranteed. Here's the thing. Going into this game, it was all about Shea Gilgis-Alexander versus Luka Doncic. Shea's team wins by 11. He finishes with 31 points and 10 rebounds, and Luke has taken an early shower. I mean, I know that we asked a couple people in previewing this tournament, even during this tournament, who's the best player in this tournament? Hey, Rash Madani even said, look, I love Shea Gilgis-Alexander, but it's Luka Doncic. Shea's the best player in this tournament. Shea's the MVP of the tournament right now. He's the best player in this thing. He was unreal in this game. Here's the bad news. According to the broadcast... Uh, Friday's game against Serbia is at 1.45 a.m. our time. I saw the schedule. It's not great. So 4.45 a.m. Eastern time. So nobody in Canada (laughs) is feeling great about the start time of this game against Serbia. mm -hmm. I wonder if there's any way they move that up. Is the American game on on the same day? Are they both on Friday? Hold, please. Because if they're both on Friday, I could see why they wanted to put United States in the time slot where more people could watch it in North America. Um, it's one, The games right now are scheduled for 1.45 and 5.40 our time. So U.S. Germany is for 5.40. It's, yeah, though that's what, but that's yeah. what I'm talking about, right? Like that's going to be – they're going to – they looked at that and they were like, well, we'll give the Americans the more reasonable time slot. Sure. I mean, I, I, mean, I would love for them to try and move this, but – That's got to be like the – if you could pick a worse time, especially for our show, yep, right? Like what's the a, what's a worst time you could start a game? Like 
one forty-five in the morning. How about one forty-five? They, they know yeah, that time perfect. doesn't the time doesn't change when you go up north, right? It's it's lateral. Or I, I understand. What's your point? They're thinking that Canada has a different time zone. Oh, right? maybe they think, yeah, they're, they're, like, oh, they're, they're all tucked away up there. Well, a lot of them are like, where is Canada? Anyway, it's in Europe, right? Uh, so, at any rate, hey, l- listen, this this is this is great news. Uh, Canada will have a very tough test against Serbia, one of the traditional powers of international basketball. Uh, I think Canada probably will be the favorite, according to the bookies, just sure. like they were against Slovenia. For sure. I think they beat the spread by a couple points against Slovenia. Um, and this is really setting up what could be one of the great moments in Canadian men's basketball history if Canada could play the Americans in the gold medal game of the FIBA World Cup. Which would be at 5.40 a.m. on a Sunday, our time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know what to tell you. It's, like, it's, it's, they're I not mean, good times. I usually they're not wake, good times. I usually wake up at 4.30 in the morning for yoga every day, so that'll be perfect for I me. I do Pilates. <laughs> uh, I know. Look, I, this. I'm actually kind of sad because this is going to be the last time. Like Having the games run... Uh, concurrently with our show has been great. Like, yeah, it's one, been awesome. Yeah, like it's entertaining. Yeah, it's something right? for you to do, right? Yeah, as, as opposed to work. So it's nice that this has been going, but yeah, it's all coming to an end now. However, I'm name three things me and Batch discussed. Um, oh, let's see: the start, mm-hmm. Carson Susie, Tyler Myers. You guys played the hits. You guys played all the greatest hits. I heard it in the background. hashtag the start. We're making uh, it a thing. Sean Gentilly's going to join us next. Um, we'll talk about contract lengths around the NHL with Sean. Um, there seems to be a trend towards shorter-term contracts for superstar players. Maybe. We'll see what Sean has to say about it. Austin Matthews has done it. Um, Elias Pettersson, the idea, the notion is out there that he might do that in his next contract. So we'll talk to Sean about that. Uh, pros and cons of long-term contracts versus shorter-term contracts on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. The People's Show, your home for Vancouver summer sports talk. Subscribe to the podcast now. on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Today, we are in Hour 2 of the program. Hour 2 is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. To the phone lines we go. Our good buddy, NHL writer for The Athletic, Sean Gentilly, here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Sean. How are you? I think it's technically the early afternoon here in beautiful, sunny Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. What's up, boys? What's up? You sound isn't excited it, to be here. Isn't it 10.30 in the morning in Pittsburgh? <laughs> Have you gotten out of bed yet? I forgot, what ta- I forgot what time it was. I was looking over. I looked over at the clock that I was standing. I was like, nope, still morning. Never yeah. mind. <laughs> Uh, take it back. Hey, Sean, uh, you know whenever Canada does uh, something well athletically that's not hockey, 
your mm-hmm. Twitter timeline uh, or X as mm-hmm. it's called now uh, gets inundated with like Canadian hockey writers talking about another sport. Are you there yet with basketball? Because by the way, we're coming for you. Yeah. Canada is coming for the United States to be the kings Dude, of watched, international basketball. I, I was up early. Well, not not up early. I, I made a point when I was awake a few days ago to watch Canada, Spain. Mm-hmm. Tip was it like eight thirty, maybe? Yep. I mean, they should like you guys should be good. You have all those, you, you have all those guys playing. They should be relevant in international tournaments now. Like I, I know they haven't played together all, all that much, but if you have like. R.J. Barrett and Lou Dort and SGA and, and all these guys, like if they can get some actual run together and, and maybe get a, get a feel for, for how to play with one another, I, like this should be a good stretch of international game of, of international ball for them. I'm actually, I'm, I guess to answer the original question, I'm not completely sick of it yet, but like <laughs> once you get in an Olympic cycle or like an, an Olympic cycle, I'm going to be, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be complaining about it. Just, just like, you know, whatever, whenever there's a random uh, Canadian who's in the quarterfinals of like a tennis major or something. And all, all, all of a sudden it's, 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 it's the only thing that, you know, the only thing anybody seems to be talking about, but, but, but for now I'm still, I'm still down with the hoop stuff there. Cause it, cause they're fun to watch. The Americans bought it, brought a pretty young team to the world cup. Do you think all the big dogs will want to be part of the Olympics in Paris? I think so. I think some of that too. It's, you know, it's funny. It's kind of like a cyclical thing. <clears throat> you know, you'll have, you'll have one cycle where uh, everybody's in and then there'll maybe be like, oh, kind of whatever performance at, at a FIBA tournament. And then, and then all the, all the big boys will be like, all right, yeah, ne- never mind. It's time to, it's time to come back. It also, it also doesn't hurt that it's uh, going to be in Paris. I think that's kind of the consideration for this stuff too. Like if it were in, you know, whatever, like a, a, a B tier Olympic city, maybe, maybe the big fellows would be less apt to show up. But man, Paris. Yeah. But and with, with the way things are going, I, I think, it, I think it's going to be, you know, arrow pointing up for participation at that. Isn't this also the Olympics where breakdancing is going to make its debut as a medaled sport? I think it is. I mean, what, I, I wish we had the list of stuff that they've added in front of us here, because I know it's like, Three on three is going to be in, or right. Three, yeah, three, three on, on three, three hoop is back. Like all, all this, all this other stuff. I mean, I'm still. Hockey I don't side. know. I feel like <laughs> I feel like it's possible that I could try to get like Italian citizenship or something, <laughs> and like really go all in. Like you know how how like how like how like Mike Piazza was representing Italy yep. like in international in, in international baseball. I really feel like if I apply myself for the next like two years, I mm-hmm. feel like I could probably sneak onto the Italian breakdancing. It's the Olympic, it's the, it's the curling argument. Yeah. How many people have <laughs> said like, if I just dedicate myself to curling for like three years, I feel like I could play for well, the Olympics. Yeah. If you're a lead in one area, like, like Jake Plummer, you remember like the, like Broncos quarterback. Yeah. Jake Plummer, he's, he yeah he's into mushrooms. Oh, I thought he was into mushrooms. He's into mushrooms big time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was, uh, he was, he was really into handball, and now he, and now he's really, really into like ayahuasca or, or whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a natural transition, thing. right? Handball, <laughs> hard drugs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're therapeutic. Um, okay, so by the way, the five new sports in Paris are climbing, skateboarding, surfing, breaking, and that's break dancing. 
Canada's good at that, too. Four additional sports, sorry. Break, break dancing, sport climbing, skateboarding, and surfing. So those are the four new medaled ones for the Olympics. <laughs> they, just, they just rated the, they, they rated the X Games. It only took 30 <laughs> years for them, to, for, for them to make that decision. And I'm really curious to see you on the Italian surfing team now. I think that there's a fit there. <laughs> we can make this happen somehow. Okay, I gotta I gotta table this discussion for a minute. There is some news, NHL news, out of Pittsburgh, no less, where Doug Wilson has resurfaced in an executive role, newest hire uh, by the Penguins and general manager and King Penguin, as I have now coined him, uh, Kyle Dubas. <laughs> Was this on anybody's radar at all? Because the last time I actually thought and heard about Doug Wilson was. Someone did an interview with him from the Mercury News after he had been removed to Sharks Jam talking about he had persistent health issues. So this kind of mm-hmm. came up today, and I was like, oh, Doug Wilson didn't expect that at all. Was this on your radar at all, and what was your reaction upon hearing the news? It wasn't on my radar, but I'm glad it happened because you know there hadn't been a ton of public di- – or not discourse, but not, not a lot of public uh, info about health stuff he was facing. So the fact that he's taken a job, I think, suggests that you know, that he's, that he's healthy for one, which I think is a really positive thing. Cause you know, you never want to see anybody go through something like that. That's serious enough to, uh, to, to stop him from, from working for a couple of years. Right. I, I think that's, I think that's, uh, that's, you know, a, a relevant, a relevant bit there too. But man, I, you know, whenever Dubas took the job, uh, when, whenever he took the, the, the president of hockey ops job, we all got our little, you know, who's going to be the GM lists going. Obviously those that turned out to be folly because he didn't hire anybody and then, and then hired himself. But everyone was thinking, you know, this is going to be, you know, is it going to be uh, like he, looking towards the leaps, right? Is, is it going to be Brandon Pridham? Is it going to be Haley Wickenheiser? Is it going to be someone like Megan Duggan, who is, who's with the devils who he had early, who, who uh, Dubas had a relationship with. I don't think anybody was looking towards, you know, an, an older school guy like Doug Wilson, but man, good for, good for him. I, I think there's been a lot of other hires in that organization, you know, up, up and down that have been, uh, have been kind of interesting. You have Amanda Castle as a, as a special assistant and you got Spezza as, as an AGM. So I, I think there was a spot there for sure. And I think it makes sense, you know, to, to have someone who's done, who's done the job, you know, who's, who's done the big job kind of in the mix there, yeah. because, you know, Yes, Dubis has a ton of experience, but you know, do you want you want someone with a with a with a little bit more a little bit more of a of a, of a resume somewhere? And I, I think I think Wilson makes a ton of sense. I think relationships are huge too, right? You want you want to bring people yeah. into your front office that have relationships that are able to talk to people around the league in in the NHL, outside of the NHL. Um, you know that that's. That's one of the most important things that you can bring to a job is relationships that you can draw on. I, it's like, dude, it's it's something that I think gets lost in the who should be GM discourses, like pretty often. Because look, we we all want we all want to see like new blood. We all want to see younger people. We all want to see more like a more diverse group of of uh, of, of folks, you know, running hockey ops. But there is something to be said too for guys like Doug Wilson who have been there and done it because it makes, like, like it or not, a, a lot of a lot of this league, a lot of that league hinges on being able to get trades done and, yeah. and make and having conversations with people you trust and and and, uh, and and people you've worked with before. And and I think I think Wilson checks a lot of those boxes. So yeah, I, I think I think he's got a pretty solid 
Dubas has a pretty solid group. I think one thing that was missing there again was was that level of experience, and I, I think it makes a ton of sense. Yeah, it's funny, Sean. We were having this conversation yesterday with David Foster on the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know who David Foster is? David Foster, Canadian music producer. Remind me. Yeah, he was a Canadian oh, yeah, music producer. Yeah. He also like was part of some reality TV shows. He was yeah, like yeah, the yeah. stepdad. Yeah. No, anyway, that's pretty funny. It was us trying to humble brag that we were talking to David Foster, and then we realized that uh, you didn't know who he was. It like, but it was like, the importance of were, networking. If I were from, listen to me, if, it, if I were from three and a half hours north where, where I actually am from, I'm sure that would have been a big deal. So congratulations. Um, one of the things we wanted to talk to you about, uh, Sean, and we actually had this conversation with David Foster as well. No, we didn't. But did we mention we talked to David Foster? Uh, was uh, oh yeah, the the record producer and uh, he was using some reality. Yeah, yeah, that guy. He that won guy. sixteen Grammys. <laughs> Seventeen, I think. Seventeen Grammys. No big deal. It's not. A, it's not important. We we know you you Americans are more insular. You only care about yourself, but that's fine. Um, the uh, the uh, the contract lengths. Austin Matthews um, did not sign a max term contract with the Leafs, and in fact, he's done that a few times in Toronto. Do you think? that's going to be a trend for players going forward? I think one of my first reactions when I saw the Matthews contract stuff was like, I know a lot, there were Leafs fans who were apoplectic about not having him locked in for eight. I mean, do you, I don't know. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine having Austin Matthews reset when he's 31 or 32. Like, like we, we know it's still like, I know things have changed a little bit, but I think there's worse things from a team end or from, from a fan base end than, you know, maybe waving goodbye to a player when they're right. 32 or 33 versus paying them, you know, a gazillion dollars. But, yeah, right now I, I think it makes sense for everybody. It makes sense for both sides. It makes sense for Matthews because, you know, as long as you believe that the salary cap's going to go up and that there is going to be, like, maybe, oh, I don't know, new revenues in in the mix here of, of the next over the next few years, like, his next sale is going to be gigantic. So I, I think it's something that makes sense for, you know, may, maybe doing these uh, one short-term deal after after another. I think it makes sense for the elite players. Mm-hmm. But if I was a fringe dude, you know, if I were whatever, a middle six guy who, who needed to cash in at this one particular point in my career, like I, I would like, I don't, I'm thinking like of like Zach Hyman last, uh, last or a, a couple years back, guys like that. I think those are the ones that should continue signing for as long as possible. But yeah. the elite players, I don't know, man. If if you once we once we get out of this, you know, kind of artificially dropped uh, cap cap you know cap ceiling thing, I, I think I, I think it makes sense to kind of continue with the with, with shorter term deals for sure. Do you think it's good for the league too? Just to have this, like, like so. you, McDavid signs that contract in Edmonton, you're like, all right, well, in seven years, maybe we can That's speculate it. about him like, leaving. We can right? have, yeah, we can like we can have an interesting conversation in seven years, right? Because like, well, look, we know that we know the contracts are guaranteed, which is great. That's a positive thing, but it also eliminates uh, some of the some of the drama that comes from player movement that we see from say the NFL, mm-hmm. and we know that. Uh, there, that eight years is a is a long is a long time, and also hockey players are kind of like a risk averse population. So you look at the at the at that versus the NBA, where contracts are capped at five or six years, in in, in some cases, like that 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 matters, right? It, it matters for you know fun off season discussions. It matters for trade deadlines. 
it just matters for, you know, increased, increased interest for sure. I, now, th- can you go too far and have a turn in a situation like you've seen with the NBA over the last couple of years yeah. where, you know, nothing matters at, <laughs> at all. And as in the zero loyalty, yeah. every, every, like the league is an etch a sketch that gets shook up and in a race every single year. I don't know if you want that necessarily, but I do think that there's, you know, a middle ground that can be found. And if we see that from, from players, you know, like we've seen in, in other sports where four years, five years, that's kind of the sweet spot, you know, with making sure players get paid and, and, and that they're paid commensurately. And also, you know, kind of having uh having that fun that comes from, from some extra movement there. I wonder if the league, when the next CBA negotiations come up, will ever attempt to bring down the max contract length to something like the NBA has, which is five years. I, I think this is it's an interesting test because we're because we're we're going to see what happens over the next couple of years. Like, it's not and like yes, Matthews is the most obvious one, but you know I'm thinking of like Vladislav Gavrikov, right? Who who signed who deliberately signed a short term deal this year with the Kings because he wanted to get paid again whenever the cap jumps up. So I think whatever whatever happens, you know I I, I don't know. I, I think I think we could see like a swing back in in the other direction from from teams for sure because they're going to they're going to lose on some of these and and we know that you know when it comes to uh labor negotiations and all that sort of stuff it's a it's a it's, it's a counter puncher's game we're talking hockey with sean gentilly of the athletic sean lives in pittsburgh covers the penguins so you covered rick Tockett when he was there and he was the kessel whisperer in pittsburgh mm-hmm. on mike sullivan's staff um what do you think, if there's one lesson that Rick Tockett could take from Mike Sullivan, what do you think it would be? That's a great question, honestly. And it's not, right, where it's like Tockett taught, Tockett taught Sullivan a lot. But I, I, think, I think there's something to be said. I, something that, that always impresses me with Mike Sullivan is that, you know, there are defined roles on that team where he has certain, like he, it's not a one size fits all thing. He's got certain expectations for the first line and certain expectations for the second on and on down the lineup. But, but he also has that in place without, you know, he, he keeps that stuff in place with, without letting, while also being able to, you know, use his own, use his system and and kind of hold, hold people to the same, to the same standard. And I, th- I think that's, I think that's a tough balance to strike when you're a coach is, is to on some level expect your guys to all play the same way, but also realize that a first line center is not going to, not going to have the same responsibilities or the same expectations as, as a fourth line center. And, you know, having that sort of principle where, where you do have that balance, you bring it to a lineup like night in night out. Like you, you, you make expectations clear. Nobody exists all that far outside of them. Um, and the end result, honestly, like I, I know, whatever the the Penguins are, you know, a constant conversation point, and they missed the playoffs last year. So what? I, maybe it's not the best time to gas that month, but it's been a really consistently good regular season team for years and years and years. And I think that's something that you know certainly has been missing, <laughs> missing from the Canucks over the last couple, where it's just yeah. wild swings in in, in in each direction all all the time. I, I think I think Sullivan. You know, if nothing else is a steady hand in, in the regular season and creates that kind of culture where, you know, guys can go in on, on a night in, night out basis and, and, you know, have a have a chance to win every game they play in, right? And I, I think that feels like something that was maybe maybe missing in Van the last the, the last little chunk. Tell us a bit more about the things that Talkit might have taught 
uh, Mike Sullivan because I actually haven't heard that before. Um, and a lot is being put on the shoulders of Rick Tockett to turn this Canucks team around. Um, you know, certainly from management. With, inter- yeah, go yeah. ahead. The, no, the the most interesting, you know, element in play here is that we know that Tockett was really, really good at being the good cop in Pittsburgh, right? Like he was, he was the guy that he was the the, the coach that guys like dealing with when Sullivan went maybe a little bit too far into like hard ass mode, right? Like Sullivan or uh, Tockett was was the guy who could talk him down and Mm -hmm. uh especially the stars i know you mentioned kessel like that's always the first guy that he gets that he gets mentioned in concert with but 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 also other other guys too like that dude that dude was a star player so he knows how to deal with star players and that's an important uh that's 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 an important ability to have i think on in general and on that team specifically like i like do i i think rick tockett will be will be really good for petterson i think i think i think he already was I think Rick Tockett will, will be really good for Quinn Hughes. I think mentally, you're, or, or maybe not mentally, but person, like personality-wise, yeah. he, he can he can connect with those dudes. Yeah, you know what's That's funny is he. Is what, yep. You know what's funny is he's kind of being sold as a hard ass in Vancouver. Like he's going to be the guy that's going to bring accountability to the room, and he's going to be the guy that's going to teach them how to play defense, but. You know, I don't think he is a old school hard ass coach. And what you're telling me is pretty much um, dispelling the notion that he is a hard ass old school coach. I think he's. I think he's a good hockey coach, and I and I think he and I think he can work with you know different personality types in a in a in a pretty impressive way. But yeah, I, you know, you you look at the dude. We know the kind of player he was. We know we know he was a hard ass. You, know, you look at him; he's still he's you know what bald, still still a tough looking dude. Still looks like he he could go and whatever fight fight guys out there, right? So I don't know. I I think that's part of it. But as a hockey coach, I I think there's more to him than that, honestly. The, and the fact that he connected with Phil as well as he did is like example A, B, and C of that. Like you don't connect with Phil Kessel if you're some kind of old school, <laughs> you know, beat beat him up, but you know, beat him up uh, goon fetishist. Like like I I, I feel like or, or or if you're or if you're obsessed or if you're, you're some like defensive absolutist, right? Because because Phil, God bless him, you know, that dude that dude's not necessarily like back checking every single every single <laughs> shift. So I I think I think Tockett brings a lot to the table, honestly, and I think. You know, I, I get why there's I get why there's optimism there. Do do I think that a lot's been laid on his shoulders? Like, absolutely, it's a, it's a tough job. But I also think that dude's a, a pretty good hockey coach with a pretty diverse set of skills that I think maybe gets lost at points. Maybe they both just like playing poker. Could be it. I, that could be it. Honestly, it, <laughs> I mean, we know we know that to be true. We have empiric evidence that Rick Dockett and Phil Kessel both really like playing cards. It, it could just be that simple. Sean, you're the best, bud. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, boys. We'll talk to you soon. Talk soon. That's Sean Gentili from The Athletic and future member of the Italian surfing team at the Olympics. <laughs> By the way, <laughs> someone astutely asked into the Dunbar-Lumber text line when we were talking about surfing at the Olympics, mm-hmm. where do they surf in Paris? Uh, yeah, they're bringing a wave maker into the Seine. They are not. Oh. You know where they're doing it? Tahiti. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Is, I, that, is that right next to France? It is not. It oh, is okay. actually nowhere near France. Mm-hmm. It surpasses, it breaks the record 
of an event farthest from the actual Olympic medal competition site, the host city. Is there a French uh, connection to French Polynesia? Right. Okay. Um, but I, the, the surfing in Tahiti, as I've been told, I haven't gone, but is world class. So I guess I didn't. Even, I did not even think about it. I'm like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. that's something that you probably can't bring in a wave machine to do. No, they right? should have. No, well, this, it upset the rowers. Yeah, <laughs> the water is too choppy. We can't deal with this. Carl English is going to join us next. Former member of the Canadian basketball team. Uh, Canada is through to the semifinals for the first time ever. The FIBA World Cup. If they can beat Serbia, they will play. Probably the Americans, but maybe the Germans for a gold medal in the FIBA World Cup. We'll talk to Carl coming up next on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.